what the people are thinking and how they're feeling. So let's get this country on track. Sometimes the Senate needs to save a government from itself from making bad decisions. And might I remind you that when we close down um, the, live animal, the live animal export industry, it was around about the same time that we started seeing a lot of people arriving in boats in Australia. There's been some interesting results this election. Pauline Hanson and her One Nation party and Nick Xenophon and his team have both picked up seats. So how will this play out? The government will be very, very constrained about what it can do uh, and it will have to work through every particular issue. And it's not just in government itself. These results will have implications for trade, investment and industry. With me on this business briefing is... Jeff Cockfield, Professor in Government and Economics at the University of Southern Queensland. The election results so far also show the Nationals are in a stronger position, as Jeff explains. So what will happen is it shifts the balance of power because uh, the Nationals uh, actually have more stable, uh, have had a more stable result. So they've hardly lost any support. And in fact, they've gained back a seat from the uh, Liberals or the Liberals used to hold in the seat of Murray. So they are in a, should be in a, a better position in terms of proportions within Cabinet. And so you would think that they would be seeking uh, greater influence. And one of the areas they may seek is the trade portfolio, which they used to often hold. But uh, from John Howard's time, uh, they yielded that up to the Liberals. Again, argued was argued by Liberals that there should be a uh, reorientation due to proportions. Uh, I think the second thing is that they would want to flex their policy muscles. And they have some... Uh, unlikely allies. So those people that they've been in fierce contests with, uh, such as the rural or regional independence, uh, one nation and so on, uh, the nationals tend to be a little more uh, economic nationalist, a little more protectionist than, say, the Liberals do. And with those others, such as Bob Catter, uh, One Nation, Nick Xenophon Party, they're all a little inclined to be economic nationalists as well, or some of them quite a bit as economic nationalists. The nationalists would be more likely to support uh, local procurement. That's a Nick Xenophon preference there. The National Party will be particularly strong on supporting small business. So the first round of proposed tax cuts to small business may get there, but after that, extending those cuts to bigger business that might be a more questionable proposition because, uh, again, the crossbenchers might be very susceptible to the argument that, well, lots of those tax cuts would benefit the big businesses from overseas. So we, we might see that progression of tax cuts interrupted there. You mentioned the Nick Xenophon team's policy on local procurement. If you could explain what this is and how will this affect future policy, seeing as the Nick Xenophon team has picked up a few more seats in this election? A local procurement would be a requirement that governments, and certainly obviously the federal government, but other governments that could be persuaded to uh, join in, would do their buying from local providers. So cut down on what they purchased from imports and focus more on things that were produced in Australia, whether those be services or goods or, you know, uh, uh, inputs to production. The nationals are inclined to that kind of policy, but of course, being in coalition with the liberals, who uh, are more strongly, I guess, uh, market and global economy focused, 
that's tended to constrain their tendencies of the last uh, decade or so. So it may be that when you have people you have to negotiate with who are more inclined that way, then the nationals will use that opportunity to agree with them so that they don't have to go into open conflict with the Liberals, but they have an opportunity to, I guess, uh, go with what is their, their tendency that they've had to keep under wraps for the last decade or so. You mentioned as well that there could be an increase for industry support around agriculture from this election result. How would that play out? Can you explain that? Well, I think uh, what we've seen over the last 20 years is a winding back of direct and indirect supports for agriculture. And pretty much you're only left with things like uh, drought assistance, maybe a little bit of marketing money, then ad hoc support for particular industries or particular situations, for example, let's say, uh, helping out with the current uh, dairy crisis. Now, the Liberals and some nationals will really resist going back into support that's ongoing. So what I would expect is that you would see things like targeted assistance for the dairy industry or things to do with uh, particular situations where the, they might be able to use money, government money, to, to give a boost but trying to stay away from ongoing commitments. So, for example, Barnaby Joyce has talked about this notion of a, uh, effectively a rural bank, again, uh, stepping in to uh, help manage with the finances of, of uh, agricultural industries. That's the sort of thing that the hardline market liberals would really, really object to because that should be left to the commercial markets. And even though the nationals were pushing for that before the election, I would have thought that was a long way off under the current, what is likely to be the uh, forthcoming government scenario, something like a, uh, a rural bank or rural regional bank may come into play more strongly. Will the Nationals having a stronger role in government affect any future trade uh, decisions or trade negotiations? Trans-Pacific Partnership is the big one that's looming. Uh, and while the government previously agreed to it in principle. We're still waiting on the US to decide if they support it or not. That might depend on the presidential election. But maybe the momentum for the Trans-Pacific or to be part of the Trans-Pacific Partnership might be affected by the, the change in the structure of the forthcoming parliament. Isn't it about Australians owning their own homes? Yes, we want foreign investment, but is it at the detriment of our kids or families? To move on to another senator who might present some interesting issues to the government in the future, Pauline Hanson, with the potential for her party also to pick up more seats as well. In the last couple of days, there's been some dismay, I guess, expressed by the international community that she'll have a role in power now for fear that some of her policies to do with immigration and foreign investment will sort of create a, a bit of a roadblock for any future policies. What's your opinion on this? I think it's going to be very much depending on what the issue is. So, for example, if there, if One Nation were to push, push for issues around um, uh, protectionism and uh, maybe levels of skilled migration or something like that, the coalition might work with Labor to um, defeat any such motion as that. On the other hand, if it was to do with particular issues, say, around multiculturalism, marriage equality or anything like that, a kind of a social issue, the, the coalition might accept that, 
and and uh, negotiate with the Hanson Party. So I think you're going to have these bilateral negotiations around particular issues. Do you think this could eventuate in any sort of curbing, I guess, of, of future foreign investment in Australia? That's an interesting argument because so far the rules have been tightened up mainly to do with reporting so we can keep track of, of what's happening with the foreign investment. An argument is that greater scrutiny has already led to investors being sort of unnerved or care, uh, careful about that. I, I think that's a contention that's, that hasn't really been proven, so we're not sure. There still seems to be considerable demand for investment. But certainly the structures are in place whereby it's a reasonably easy step to increase regulation. So, for example, um, you might start to put increased rules around how much aggregation an overseas um, entity can do in, re in relation to agricultural land. Or uh, there might be an increase in terms of requirement around uh, local investment to go with that overseas investment. Labor has, has gained a bit more um, momentum in Tasmania and South Australia in particular. Do you think this will reignite some of the issues that they've been fighting over, like negative gearing and the Banking Royal Commission that have sort of taken a back seat during the campaign but could potentially become uh, bigger issues in the future? I'm not sure about negative gearing because I think that one might fade into the background. I'm not sure that when they're not in power, assuming they're not in power, Labor's really going to do too much to pursue negative gearing. I think the Banking Commission looks much more possible because uh, with uh, One Nation, Labor and Greens all prepared to do that for, for differing reasons, I think that one uh, looms a bit larger. I think probably the other major one that changes might be uh, uh, superannuation. But that might not actually be the state of the seats. But I think how or, or that was an issue that was seen by some in the coalition as being problematic. So that one may not even get through their own party room post-election. That's Jeff Cockfield, Professor of Government and Economics at the University of Southern Queensland. Tell us what you think of Business Briefing. Leave a review on iTunes. You can also subscribe to the podcast there as well. There's more analysis on what this result means for superannuation, Australia's AAA credit rating, and more on the Conversations Business and Economy section. Our theme music is by Ben Sound. That's all for this edition. I'm Jenny Henderson, Assistant Business and Economy Editor.